my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burden be then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me you raise me up so I can stand on mountains you raise me up to walk on stormy seas I am strong when I am on your shoulders you raise me up more than I can be This is the day that Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. That is a wonderful word, but we have to remember it's every day, not just good days, bad days, all kinds of days. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. 
Remember, we ask that you would pass the word and invite your friends to join us. We're always glad to have you with this ministry. So would you hear, please, now the reading of God's word. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews. He said in the presence of his associates and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, That stone wall they are building, any fox going up on it will break it down. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt back on their own hearts and give them over and plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a moment of prayer. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday, I had the opportunity of preaching at the LaGrange First Methodist Church at the celebration of 50 years in that sanctuary. Actually, that was the fifth sanctuary on the same spot for 187 years. Since I came out of that church, it was a joy for me to go back home and preach the sermon. I used a text from Nehemiah last Sunday, and I want to use that text again today. As a matter of fact, it's the text I've just read you. Now, the story of Nehemiah is one of the most thrilling chapters in all the Bible. As you remember, Nehemiah was the one who helped to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. A century and a half earlier, Ju Jerusalem and Judea had been captured by the Babylonians, and many of the Jewish leaders were taken captive into Babylonia. Nehemiah was a descendant of those who were captured. Now, conditions in the occupied territory were not too harsh, especially after the Persians captured the Babylonians. It was not too harsh at all. Nehemiah was sort of a court servant in the court of the Persian king. Now, he had it great. He could have lived in comfort, but word came that disturbed him. He heard that new disasters had fallen the people of Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had tried to reestablish life there. Consequently, he was all down in the dumps. He was having a hard time. Now, the king, who was evidently a friend, saw what was going on with Nehemiah, and he asked him, he said, What's troubling you, Nehemiah? Why are you so down and out? Nehemiah said, Well, my country is in ruins. He said, the city walls are torn down. And then he said, I want to ask you if I can go and help to rebuild those walls. And so the king very graciously gave him permission. So Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem and he rebuilt those walls against the persecution of his enemies. He built them anyway. Now the question is, how was all that accomplished? It was accomplished because of one of the great texts in the Bible. And the people had a mind to work, and the people had a mind to work. First of all, the people had a mind to work. They prayed. Now, the situation Nehemiah was in 
was an impossible situation for him. No question about that. Conditions were horrible. The obstacles were too great. And he couldn't do it on his own. But to his everlasting credit, Nehemiah had some sort of understanding of the greatness of God. He understood the greatness of God. He knew that all things were possible with God because of who God is. So he had that underlying conviction, that underlying conviction that God was this powerful God, the God of majestic holiness, the God of the covenant. You know, the trouble with too many people is that their God is too small. You remember the words of Paul, he said, my God shall supply all your need. So what was Paul and Nehemiah both saying? They were saying that we have a big God. I read about a minister not long ago who preached an annual sermon on astronomy. He was serving a small church and his word was always over the head of his parishioners. Well, after he had preached that sermon that year, the next day his associate pastor came in and said, I just wanted to know why did you preach that message about the stars and the planets when it's over everybody's head? The minister said, it reminds me of the greatness of God. So you had Nehemiah and Paul both reminded of the greatness of God. Let me say this to you. If you have a God that cannot supply your needs, your God is too small. Robert Shuler said that way back there when he was 28 years of age, he went to California. And while he was out in California, he was trying to find a place to start a church. His wife was his only member. He said he had a lot of trouble finding a church. Finally, he just went in exasperation to a drive-in movie. But he said God taught him something that he needed to be taught. He said, when you've exhausted all your possibilities, remember this, you haven't. When you've exhausted all your possibilities, remember this, you haven't. So last Sunday, I told those people at the First Methodist Church, LaGrange, why was their church so beautiful and why was it standing there now? I said, because for the last 187 years, the people here have prayed to an almighty God. They have expressed their dependence on that God and they have said they would follow that God and their God has honored that commitment. So in the terms of Robert Shuler, when you've exhausted all your possibilities, remember this, you haven't. The people had a mind to work. They dreamed. And then secondly, the people had a mind to work and they dreamed. One of my favorite parts of any business meeting it's when the chairperson finally says, any new business? Immediately, I get thrilled. I start getting excited about something that's going to happen. Now, as far as old business is concerned, we always need old business. No question about that. But it's new business that excites us. We get excited about some new opportunity, some new challenge. Now, any new business, God says, well, yeah, thanks for asking. I just want to tell you, I'm doing a new thing. And now it's breaking forth. Do you see it? What a magnificent proclamation. God says, I'm doing a new thing. So here we have Nehemiah in captivity. He's praying and he begins to vision and he has a dream. He wonders what his four-parent city could become. For him, Jerusalem was more than a place. It was a principle. For him, it was to be the holy city. For him, it was to be a powerful witness to the promises and work of God in the midst of the people. So he had to bring this dream to fruition. It just had to happen. Absolutely no question about it. There's a fellow by the name of Parkinson. Parkinson dreamed for 40 years that he would earn a doctor of philosophy degree at the university. 
But World War I broke out, and so he had to go as a chaplain. Then he became depressed. After that, he became ill and other responsibilities. He had to postpone his dream, but he never lost his dream. And so at the age of 65, he appeared on the stage at the University of Chicago while the president made him receive the diploma. And he said, this man has earned this diploma at an age that nobody else has ever had the opportunity to do so. At 65, he is the oldest diploma bearer in this university. Now, we hear Robert Shuler says there are five inequalities we have to have if we're going to climb a mountain. The first quality is a dream. We've got to have a dream. Then we have to have a gleam. A gleam. What is the gleam? It is the sparkle we have in our excitement to carry out the dream. Then we have to have a scheme. There's some methodology that's got to be there for us to bring it about. Then we have to have a beam. What is the beam? That is the prayer. That is the prayer. Then we have to have a team. We have to have people working together to make it happen. But he said, first of all, and I want you to notice this, he said, first of all, we have to have a dream. Underline that. Nothing significant will ever happen unless we have a dream. We have to have a dream. A dream gives us direction. You remember in Alice in Wonderland, when Alice came to the crossroads and there were many directions, she said to the Cheshire cat as he was smiling, would you please tell me which way I'll go from here? The cat replies, well, it doesn't make much difference. Uh, where do you want to go? She said, oh, I don't much care. He said, well, it doesn't matter which way you go. That cat was right. If we don't know where we're going and we don't have a dream and a vision to get there, then any old road will do. I think that was the point of one of the first Christian sermons. You remember Pentecost. He lift up Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he said, you people need to follow him and save yourself from this untoward generation. Now, untoward is a word we don't use anymore in our vocabulary. So what does untoward mean? It means not going in any direction. It means just moving about here and there with a confusion of directions. You see, a dream gives us direction. And then also a dream will keep us going. A dream will keep us going. The story before us is absolutely essential to meaningful living. Do you remember this story? Nehemiah went back to the city. The wall was in shambles. He started rebuilding the city, but he had all kinds of obstacles on those walls. There were many people that didn't want him to build those walls, and they did everything they could to keep him from building them. They said, come down, come down from that wall. But you remember what he said? He said, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So it was that dream that kept Nehemiah going, and it's also a dream that will keep us going. And the people had a mind to work. They prayed and they dreamed. And then thirdly, and the people had a mind to work, they accepted responsibility. I love the story of a teenage boy who was driving his girl up the street, and he said to her, if I had a hundred eyes, they'd all want to behold your beauty. If I had a hundred arms, they'd all want to hold you close. If I had a hundred lips, they'd all want to kiss you. She looked at him and said, oh, shut up. You ain't using what you got. She was saying that he had not accepted any responsibility. Now, Nehemiah understood that he could not rebuild the walls of Jerusalem by himself. So what he decided was that every family would have to accept responsibility for building a part of the wall. They would have to accept their share if the wall was going to be built. 
Now, if these families refused, then there would be a weakness in the wall, and that's where the enemy would come in. Now, if you look at chapter 3, chapter 3 of Nehemiah will give you a list of all of those families that were faithful, those families that built that wall. They were faithful in every, every way. Former New York mayor, Rudy Giuliani, said that there is a two-word sign on his desk that pretty well explains his philosophy of life, and that is, I'm responsible. I'm responsible. Remember this, there's nobody that can dream your dream except you. There's nobody that can kill your dream except you. There's nobody who can decide to make your dream come true unless it's you. There was a, a well-known minister that was interviewed at a radio station and this person had a very successful ministry, and, and the radio interviewer said, you know, I don't know how you could do all this. You're from a small town. And he said, I was born to greatness. I was born to greatness. The interviewer said, listen, your father was not rich, was he? No. Your parents were not in the high echelon of society? No. Well, how did you do it? You said you were born to greatness. He said, well, to begin with, I was raised on a farm, and I learned responsibility and I learned responsibility. And the people had a mind to build. They accepted responsibility. And then the people had a mind to build. They knew they were on a mission for God. You know, in the final analysis, Nehemiah was not rebuilding a wall. He was rebuilding a civilization. He was rebuilding a nation, a city, a world. You know, I said to those people last Sunday, I said, this sanctuary who's been here for 50 years is absolutely wonderful. But I said, this sanctuary is just a means to a greater end. I said, the purpose of the LaGrange First United Methodist Church is to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. The purpose of this church is to preach the whole gospel to the whole person for the whole world. The purpose of this church, I said, is to minister to this entire community. Now I want you to imagine something. Just imagine that that church was not here and the church that you're in is not here. What would it do to the city if the church that you're in is not here? First of all, let me just share a few things. First of all, there would be a diminishing search for the sacred in the city if your church weren't there. You know, when I was in college, I was struggling with a call to preach. And yet I was attending the University of Georgia, living in the SAE fraternity house in Athens, Georgia. Well, let me tell you, on Sunday nights in the fraternity, the brothers would get their dates, and they would all sit in this huge living room and watch television together. I would usually be on my way back from LaGrange or Macon, depending on where my wife was in school at the time. Sometime I would go to the evening worship service in Athens at the First Methodist Church. Well, one night I determined I wasn't going to church. I was just going to sit there with those brothers and their dates and have a good time. Well, that service started at 7.30. The church was just right up the street. And about 7.25, those church bells started ringing. Well, you know, I squirmed and squirmed, but finally my conscience got the best of me. And so I raced up that street and got to the church just about the time it was beginning the service. But you know what it was? It was those church bells. Those church bells, the presence of those church bells. If the presence of your church were not there, there would be a declining search for the sacred in the city where you live. And then secondly, there would be less concern for the least, the last, and the lost. There was a haughty woman that said to this young boy, if God loved you, he would provide for you. 
the young boy said, God sent someone, but they forgot. If our churches were not visibly present, more and more people would be forgetting the least, the lost, and the, the last. And then there would be a breakdown of excellence in our cities if the churches were not there. Do you know, the churches that I'm most aware of have all understood that if they're going to glorify God, it demands excellence on their part. They have to bring the best they have to the highest they know. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote a short biography of Mother Teresa. It was entitled, Something Beautiful for God. That's what these churches do. Most of them do something beautiful for God. Now, let me bring this to a conclusion. A man was once talking about, he wondered what the saints were talking about in glory. I wonder that too. But then he said, the Apostle Paul probably talks about his Damascus Road experience when he was captured by God. The lady at the well probably talks about her encounter with Christ, the living water. Zacchaeus probably talked about his conversation with Christ when he was up a tree. But all of them would be saying the same thing. There, God met me. There, I was apprehended by Jesus Christ. Now, just suppose that there's someone sitting around in glory today and they are mentioning the name of your church and what they're saying in, it was there that I first saw the light. It was there that I was apprehended by Jesus Christ. And all because the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. Let us pray. Oh God, how thankful we are for this day and for every opportunity we have to receive the gospel. Thank you, oh God, for the people who are watching this program tonight. I pray, oh God, that you'd bless them real good and that you'd meet them at the point of their need. Thank you again for this time together and help us all to be a blessing to others. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let me thank you for tuning in tonight. We are always glad to have you and we trust that the music and the word is a blessing to you. Please remember to share this program with others. Thank you very much and have a good evening. Good night. Midnight was 
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.